Well, good morning, Hillview Bible Chapel. All right, I heard heard my name over there. That's good. (laughs) Well, I hope you're doing well. It's great to see you again as we continue our journey through Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 19, so I encourage you to go ahead and turn there. We'll have a lot of the slides up there, but it's always good because your version might be different than mine, so it's good to kind of rummage through your own version and go, oh, that's different, that's interesting, and maybe later on you'll go, hmm, I should look at that a little bit more. Uh, But we are going to be in Revelation chapter 19, and we're continuing our study. Today, it's all about the return of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, at the beginning, we talked about, behold, I am coming quickly, and here we're going to see him return. And uh, a pretty amazing passage in Revelation Chapter 19. We're gonna we're gonna show you first this little chart that we've been kind of going through. As you know, uh, we had it broken down to three different areas: the things which you have seen, which is chapter one; the things which are chapters two and three. And we've been in the things which are take place in the future for quite some time, chapter four, all the way to the end of the chapter. And so today we are focusing on chapter 19, the return of Jesus Christ. And this is kind of that. The great finale. This is what we've been waiting for in a sense. Obviously, we've talked about the rapture, but for a consummation of what's going to happen in the future, this is a pretty remarkable event. As you know, uh, we've actually been in this part, this this scroll back in chapter 6, and we'll touch on that a little bit today. We've been in this section of the scroll, which encompasses a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of chapters, and today the scroll is going to be complete. That seven-year period of Daniel's 70th week is going to be complete. You remember uh, it talks about Daniel's 70th week, that 77 years, if you will, 69 have been take place before, and we're down to one more week-long period of seven years. Uh, You remember we talked about a time, a times, and a half a time, three and a half years, 1,260 and three and a half years. So we have these four and 42 months as well. And all that combined to say this seven year period has been going on and it's going to be ending here in chapter 19. And as we go through this passage, we're going to look at three different points, three different sections. The first, we're going to see a message of praise that's being sung from heaven by some special people. And then we're going to see also the marriage of the Lamb. And maybe that can conjure up images in your mind the marriage supper of the Lamb. And finally, we're going to see the massacre of the nations. And so if you will, open your Bibles, or you can follow along with me as we read uh, in Revelation chapter 19. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who will fear him, small and great. Then it heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, 
For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw the angel standing in the sun with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who is in the presence has done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Its image. Those two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Let's just take a moment to pray if we could. Father, we commit... This word, this inspired word to you this morning, may my thoughts, my words, my message, may our, our hearts uh, be the message that you want imprinted upon our hearts and our minds. May we be attentive to your word and, and uh, just be amazed at the scene that is, John is setting before you through this inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the return of Jesus Christ, I don't know if you've ever experienced like some amazing victory that, you know, you have this in your mind, you go back over it. Maybe, maybe in sports you, you, you had a heroic play that won the game. Perhaps you made a briefing or some sort of a presentation that like got sold and everyone was like, you're the hero. Uh, you know, every now and then great victories happen and we kind of reminisce about them and it makes, it makes perfect sense. And but it certainly makes you feel uh, amazing to have such a great victory. And I think what we're seeing in this first part is this idea. And I want to play a little clip that you may have remembered about a great victory. The game right now is at the plate. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! Well, that there is Kurt Gibson. If you're an A's fan like I am, then you were pretty sad. But if you were a Dodgers fan, okay, 1988, you were pretty happy because this was World Series Game 1. Here we are. Of course, it's the bottom of the ninth. 
two outs. And Kirk Gibson, who has been, who has been hurt, hasn't played a game. And Tommy Lasorda, you saw him cheering. He says, I want you to hit, you know, I want hit you to go up to bat and pinch hit. And he kind of struggles out there. And of course, in the A's fan, you got Dennis Eckersley, like, what could go wrong, right? And I was watching that and to my dismay. I was born in Oakland, so I'm a little Oakland's fan. But can you imagine Kurt Gibson and the Dodgers like reminiscing about this play and, and the thrill of the victory that took place? This is kind of what I think is it transpired in this, in this part about these message of praise that's being sung. And, of course, it's a whole different concept, right? I mean, sports is one thing, but eternal victories by the Savior, the Lamb of God, is a complete different animal, a completely different thing. And I want to, when we go back and we look at this, we look at this message of praise. And I'm going to do something real quick for you, okay? So you're going to all have to be brave, and you're going to have to be loud. So I'm going to sing a song, and then you're going to reply. Kind of like that today is the day echo thing. I think most of you know it. Already? Everybody ready? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Wow, that was pretty amazing. Okay, so now you're going to know exactly where this song comes from. Four hallelujahs in this section. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And why is it so special? This is the only time this word occurs in the whole Bible. It's only in Revelation 19, and it's only in these four verses. What an incredible message of praise. You know, hallelujah is a pretty interesting word. It's actually a combination of hallelujah, which is basically praise. It's, it's adore, boast, rave. I mean, just what, exactly what you think of it. And then, yeah, that last part is short for Jehovah. Lord. So it's praise ye the Lord. That's why we sing four hallelujahs and say praise ye the Lord. This message, this anticipation, we, we can, they're looking back. Do you remember the last couple chapters? We've, we've recounted that story of Babylon has fallen, right? The great, the great prostitute has been defeated. And then they're looking even forward to Christ's coming that we'll see here later in this chapter. And they're singing this great message of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And so what are some of the things that they're saying? Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. Praise our God, all you servants who fear him, small and great. For the Lord, our God, the Almighty, reigns. Why are they singing such an amazing praise? Can you imagine can you imagine the waiting that's been happening? I mean, these seven years have, have not been that great. We've recounted some pretty awful things that have taken place. And finally, they're starting to see the great victory that the Lord Jesus Christ is bringing against the nations, against his enemies. And they're singing this amazing song of praise. Years waiting, three and a half years of great tribulation. I want to take you back a number of months, because there's something special as well, even more special in this passage. You remember I showed this slide. This is the seals. Way back in Revelation chapter 6, we talked about the seals, and each one was broken. And Of course, it was broken. There was only one who was worthy, and that was the lamb, and they broke the fifth seal. And what was it? It was martyrdom. Matter of fact, Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 24, saying, 
they will hand you over to be persecuted and kill you. And then in Revelation chapter 6, those in, that were under the altar, those who had been killed, cried out with a loud voice, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood for those who dwell on the earth? In chapter 11, it says, they were each given a robe. Do you remember that? And he said, wait a little longer. Rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who are going to be killed just as they. I mean, they've been waiting three and a half years, waiting for the Lord to say, avenge our blood. And then, now, we get to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 2. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his, her, his servants. I mean, what an amazing accomplishment. What an amazing celebration that's going on. I mean, I mean that they have a, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do it. He said, wait, wait, wait. You know, so often in Scripture we think, I mean, I think it's, I think it's human nature. Maybe it's just me that sometimes we want revenge. Is it just me? Or is there other people that kind of, I mean, anybody had their catalytic converter stolen? I mean, talking about, where is that guy? I want to get him. Or girl, maybe. I mean, we like vengeance. But Jesus says, no. He says, revenge is mine. Over and over again, we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Moses, you know, if anybody had a beef to pick, Moses, you know, he was about ready to go into the land of Canaan. Remember, and Jesus, God said, no. You're not going to go. And he just christened Joshua to go in his place. And he sang this song like it, right, right before he dies. And he says in this song, Vengeance and retribution belong to me. In time their foot will slip for their day of their disaster is near. Their doom is coming quickly. We have to wait. Paul again mentions it. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for his written vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the writer to the Hebrews, for we know it, him who said vengeance is mine, I will repay. I mean, what a, what a message of praise they have throughout all that waiting, throughout all that they say, now he has avenged us. What a message of praise that we have. What a message of praise that we can know that he will defeat his enemies. And we're going to see that. But before we get to that part, we have a special celebration. A special celebration for those, the chosen ones, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know about you, but probably most of us can have been to like a, some, some sort of a big feast, some sort of a big celebration where we're eating and we might be dressed up and things are good. Um, this here is a picture. It, when I was back at the Air Force Academy, during special occasions, uh, they would make a big feast, and, and they would make this, which is called Mitch's Mountain. And as you can see, it's a cake with vanilla, strawberry, and chocolate ice cream, whipped cream, nuts, cherry, and chocolate on top. I mean, this thing, and it was for, this was for like 10 people. And so what an amazing feast this was. And then to top it off with a Mitch's Mountain was pretty amazing. But I think what we're going to find is that this marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be an incredible feast that you won't want to miss. And for those who have trusted the Lord Jesus, this is going to be an amazing celebration. Now, 
Now, weddings and things like that, I, th- I think of three phases. And this is kind of the Hebrew wedding, maybe, maybe some other cultures as well. And the first thing is the betrothal. Now, most of the time, we don't use that anymore, any word anymore. We use the term engagement. But it's kind of the same thing. You remember in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 2, in the old version, it says Mary was betrothed to Joseph. You know? So this, this time of betrothing is, is kind of more important in these cultures than maybe we were. This, this is a picture a while back. Uh, this goes back to 1988. This was not the exact day, I don't think. Rosanna can set us straight, but that was the place. Matter of fact, it's about two miles from here to Cupertino City Park, I think it is, a little gazebo. There used to be water in there with ducks, and that's where we got engaged, right there in that gazebo a few years ago. Uh, But, you know, this is where that choice comes, right, where we choose the person we're going to spend the rest of our lives with. And Jesus has done that for every one of them who is going to attend this marriage supper of the Lamb, right? Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. He says, you... For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. We're betrothed to our Savior. And this is about the celebration that's going to happen, right? Not only is there a betrothal, but there's also this idea of of a preparation and presentation. You know, I uh, uh, was not there for any of this. I was in New York. Rosanna was here. And she was doing all the work. And I just showed up mostly for the wedding. But there's a lot of preparation that goes on to a wedding. We've done two weddings, and that's a lot of work. Uh, I can tell you that. I ended up doing more for those weddings than I ever did for my own. Uh, but this presentation, these festivities, really is about what's happening right now, right? That God is preparing his bride, you and me, the ones who have trusted him. And Colossians Paul writes and he says he wants to present us. You know, we were once time strangers, like I didn't know Rosanna, but eventually we became engaged, and now there was this process of getting to know and and everything like that. And he says, 22, but now he's reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy and and without blemish, blemish and blameless before him. And this idea of Preparation is getting us ready so we, we see him. And guess what? That's part of the presentation, right? The presentation is we're going to see him in glory, right? Paul writes about that in Corinthians. We'll not all sleep, but we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trump. And the dead will raised imperishable, and we will all be changed and be presented as a glorious body to our Savior. And then this marriage supper of the Lamb, when we're in these, these glorified states, We're going to have this wonderful celebration uh, there with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's that's the ceremony, right? Pretty pretty much you get all dressed up, right? The bride's looking beautiful and ready to go. And then we see it's it's not just any representation. In in chapter 19 and verse 8, the bride, that's you and I, was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the acts, the righteous acts of the saints. I mean, it's amazing that the things that we do here, you know, we kind of think of that as filthy rags. Like there's a verse about that, like all our righteousness are as filthy rags. But somehow God takes those 
and redeems them for himself, for his purposes. And by doing that, when we come before him and, and we have this marriage celebration, we're going to be clothed in things that represent those righteous acts. And they're going to kind of be resurrected, if you will, and, and our, 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 our actual linens will be those righteous acts that we've done. Not because we're great, but because we've done them for his kingdom. And what an amazing thing that will be. You know, John, it's funny, he's, he's so enthralled by this whole occasion in verse 10 that he's like, I don't know what to do. This is such amazing. He decides to fall down and, and worship whoever's there, that voice, maybe an angel, I'm not sure. And he's like, no, no, get up. Don't worship me. I'm just like you. Worship God. Worship those. I'm your fellow servant who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. And that's, that's what we're going to be doing in this marriage celebration it's going to be a remarkable, remarkable thing. For those who are going to go through this and face the Lord Jesus Christ in the fi- his final return, though, it won't be such a wonderful celebration. And so the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come, and it's going to be what we refer to, I refer to as a massacre. <laughs> it's not a pretty picture. We've seen a few instances in this in this book of really not very pretty pictures, and this is another one. Of course, there is an in- interesting picture that John is going to point, and it's, it's an amazing, amazing picture beyond description. The first, the first verse of it, I saw heaven opened. We, we see that a few times in Scripture. We see that a few times in Scripture where heaven is open. We saw it, in, you could see it in Ezekiel chapter 1, when Ezekiel was kind of doing this long prophecy and seeing these visions. And it says, the heavens opened and I saw visions of God. Maybe you're thinking back in Matthew chapter 3. Remember when Jesus was baptized and the heavens were opened, right? And he went up into the water and the heavens were opened and God descended, the Spirit of God descended on a dove and voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved Son whom I am well pleased. Interesting, we even see it in Acts chapter 7, remember when Stephen was martyred and he, he looked up into heaven and in Acts chapter 7 verse 56, he said, I saw the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. There's something significant that happens when the heavens are open. There's a special vision. A something special is taking place. A special uh, saying as in, this is my beloved Son. Or a special event in which Stephen is martyred and he's going to go be taken up at the Lord's right hand. Heaven is opened. And so John is about ready to see something amazing, something that he writes down. But, of course, I don't have a picture to show you to really account for the kind of things that that are in these verses. So I'm just going to put a few of them up here, and you'll see them as as they fill the screen. This is a short couple of verses. But think about and just picture, if you will, what John is seeing in this vision, the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ and his return on the white horse. I mean, the whitest of horse, the one who is faithful from the beginning to the end, and he's true. The one who has a flaming fire and a sword where which he will defeat the nations. He's going to be a righteous judge. He's going to wage war. He's got crowns. He's got a couple of names, right? One that we don't even know, only he himself. He's called the Word of God, and at the end, he's on his thigh and his diet is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I love this idea of 
this cloth that's dipped in blood. Think about, you remember, we, I took you back already to chapter 4 and 5, that, that vision that John records early on when, when no one was worthy to open the seals. And then finally, there was a lamb standing there as it had been slain, right? And that was the one who was worthy. The Lord Jesus Christ is a lamb. And so this, this clothing dipped in blood just represents that lamb. Even though coming as a humble lamb to be slain for us and now riding to victory on the white horse. Such an amazing, amazing vision. The sharp sword that he, wherewith he'll strike the nations. It's really quite remarkable vision. It's, I, I, I thought about putting a picture up, like, let's just see how many of these things we can, like, put in a picture, but I just, I just couldn't bring myself to put a picture because I don't think there's anything that could do justice to what John is seeing as the heavens are open and Christ himself with his army. And I, I believe those who have trusted him will be there with him. After the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're going to ride out victorious with the Lord Jesus Christ as he comes out to strike down the nations. We'll be part of that avenging for the avenging force. And so I kind of left a blank slide just for us to ponder what that vision looks like and try to imagine what it's going to be like for us riding into victory, singing that message of praise. But sadly, for those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and who have aligned themselves with the beast and aligned themselves with a the false prophet, their destiny will not be very good. There's kind of a comparison, if you will, a comparison of this final battle in chapter. Oops, go back. I pushed the wrong button. In chapter 17, verse 17, we have this great supper of God, and, and it's sad, but this, this, is where, this is where the birds and others will feast on those who are going to be killed. And thankfully, we'll, we'll, be, we'll have just come from the marriage supper of the Lamb where the celebration will be incredibly joyful, incredibly celebratory. One will bring calamity and, and carnage and the other brings celebration and commemoration. In chapter verse 18, the Lord makes no distinction between great or small and the slaughter that's going to take place. Interestingly enough, you know, he, he talks about in verse 18, it's going to be comprehensive kings and commanders, mighty men, horses, riders, free, slaves, small and great, everyone who followed after the beast, who took the mark of the beast and worshipped him, will be slaughtered. It's not the side you want to be on. It's not the place that you want to face the ultimate victor. When we go to the celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's going to be also a great multitude of small and great you know, we've talked about that in a couple different passages, how the gospel is going to go forth during this time. In chapter 6 and verse 9, that great multitude which no one could count from every nation, every tribe, people, and tongue are going to be there. 
chapter 14, that eternal gospel that the angelic message went forth. And the message was to those who live on the earth and to every nation, tribe and tongue and people. The gospel today is available for all. The gospel today is for small and great. And those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will feast at the celebration. doesn't matter what your stature is, your bank account, whether you go to church or not, but have you placed your trust in the Lamb and accepted this invitation? And then finally, there's the great adversary in verse 19, the Antichrist. Of course, we've heard that this Antichrist, Satan, and the false prophet, and the Antichrist being the three person of the false, the counterfeit trinity. And we know that that adversary the counterfeit, the deceiver, is going to be killed by Jesus Christ, the one who's called faithful and true. I mean, think of all the names, faithful and true, word of God, the one, the gospel of his testimony is true, king of kings and lord of lords. He is the victor. You know, in a lot of different places we've taken you to understand the concepts that are happening in Revelation to other parts of Scripture, to the Old Testament. And, and the Battle of Armageddon is really no different. The Battle of Armageddon, the final defeat of God on the nations, is certainly something that has been foretold over and over again. We've actually been in Joel a few times, and in Joel chapter 3, Joel prophesies, let the nations be roused and let them go up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit in judgment on all the surrounding nations. Rush forth the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, stomp the grapes, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow. Indeed, their evil is great. Crowds, great crowds are in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. What what a picture Joel paints. Not only Joel, but we see that same idea in Zephaniah. Wait patiently. Remember that idea of waiting. Waiting on the day of the Lord. Wait patiently for me, says the Lord. For the day when I attack and take plunder, I've decided to gather the nations together. It's his decision. And assemble the kingdoms. He's going to bring them together so that I can pour out my fury on them. All my raging anger for the whole earth will be consumed by my fiery anger. This idea of Daniel's 70th week continues, Zechariah, then the Lord will go to battle and fight against those nations just as he fought battles in ancient times. And we saw in Revelation chapter 40 this idea of this great wine press that was stomped outside the city. Again, the blood poured out of the wine press up to the height of the horse's bridle for a distance of almost 200 miles few weeks ago we saw it in Revelation chapter 16. Now the spirits gathered the kings and their armies to that place that is called Armageddon in Hebrew. And lastly, in just a week ago or two, they will make war with the Lamb, but the Lamb will conquer them. Because He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those accompanying the Lamb are called chosen and faithful. That's that's you and I, if you place your faith and trust. We're going to celebrate with a great feast, and then we're going to ride out in victory with our Savior 
And these verses speak of the great, the final consummation of Christ against his enemies. Wouldn't be complete without understanding what happens. We're going to see what happens to Satan, the great deceiver, next week. But here we have the, the final outcome of the beast and the false prophet. And as you see, the beast was seized. This great finality for the Antichrist and the false prophet. They were, of course, were there with their counterfeit signs where they were doing things and, and people were wondering, oh, look at the beast. Who, who can defeat the beast? Let us worship the beast. And they took the mark of the beast and we found out in chapter 14 that those who take the mark of the beast, they're destined to destruction. And of course, part of that Part of that taking that mark was worshiping the beast, the false trinity. Because only God is, only God is the one we should worship. And even the four and twenty elders, remember back in that, that first part, the four and twenty elders fall down, and the four living beasts, they, we see that over and over again in Revelation, chapter four and chapter five, chapter eleven, chapter nineteen. Whenever those twenty-four elders are seen, they're almost always what? They're on their faces. They're on their faces because they know that only the Lord God is worthy of worship. And we'll have that same attitude when we see him. And so we have these faults that are seized and judged. This is, this is really the end of all those who don't place their faith and trust in God. And we've talked about this, the, the sad truth of the Bible is that those who don't place their trust and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are destined for the same judgment of the beast and the Antichrist, thrown alive into the lake of fire. This isn't a place of fellowship or fun, frivolity. This isn't a place of comatose or unconsciousness or oblivion. It's a place of cognizant torment. This is what God says about the end for those who don't trust Him. A living, tormented existence. And of course, we know the rest are killed as well. The rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of Him who sat on the horse. And so we have Jesus Christ, the ultimate victor. We have Jesus Christ who is the ultimate warrior. And then we have this banquet that's served of those who will be killed by the sword. Pretty intense. A pretty intense picture, if you will. You know, in the Revelation, in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the question is, are you going to be ready? Are you going to be ready when He comes? Are you going to be on the earth and, and lost and destined to destruction? Are you going to be riding behind the great victor, the great warrior? Are you ready to accept that invitation, having just, just celebrated the marriage supper of the Lamb? A little while ago, uh, we got this in the mail. Now it's all electronic. You don't, you know, you don't get an invitation. It's like a lot of them just come in the mail, right? Have you accepted your invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I mean, what a great feast this is going to be, right? 
We talked about the seven blessings of Revelation. This is the fourth. Blessed, right? Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, these words of God are true. He even emphasized it, right? Write it. And he also said, these words of God are true. I mean, what an amazing invitation we have before us. That when we accept that, we're betrothed, we're engaged. He's preparing us to be his bride. He's going to present us at the rapture, and he's going to change us. And then we'll wait, like that's, that scripture says, we'll wait, we'll wait. And then finally, we'll have the marriage supper of the lamb with the lamb. And then we have that ceremony where we come and we celebrate the victorious lamb who died for you and for me so that we might have salvation, so that we might have an eternity with the one who redeemed us and worship him singing hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And what an amazing feast. Have you accepted that invitation? There's, there's no reason not to. It's there. You know, I, I love this verse in Isaiah 55 Chapter one, it's chapter fifty-five, verse one. The, the the word in the thing, thing the King James, I memorized it. Ho, you know, ho, but it's like I like this. You there, you there, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Listen, that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him. While he is near, abandon, let the wicked abandon his ways and the unrighteous person his thoughts. Let them return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I mean, come and accept the invitation. It's free. It's a matter of trust, having faith in the one who will be the ultimate victor. It says right here, he's coming. The words are true. He's coming quickly. And from that moment, we'll be with him forever if you've trusted him. We'll celebrate with everyone this feast of remembrance, of commemoration with the Lamb. And then we'll ride out. We'll ride out to avenge those who've been killed by the beast. And, of course, we don't seek that, but we know that's the future. Perhaps as those were saying in those hallelujahs, they're looking forward to thinking so, so true, so certain is the justice that God's going to weigh out on the world that we sing hallelujah and we can do that even today. Faithful and true. So trust in the Lamb who died and is returning, our Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. How precious, how precious it is when we will see you face to face. We'll get to dine with our Savior. The celebration of the marriage ceremony between the Lamb and the church. And then we'll ride out in victory. What a great victory it will be when our Savior defeats His enemies. Father, now we wait for that, just like those martyred souls during the Great Tribulation, knowing that our job is to make ourselves ready, prepare ourselves to meet our bride. That is our desire. Prepare us, Father, in Jesus' name.